and thanks for joining another episode of Jackman Radio. I'm one half of the Jackman Brothers, Eric Jackman, and really excited today to be joined by my friend, Michelle Little. She's the founder and producer of Beautiful Dying. She's a deaf midwife and uh, a very lovely lady who I've known for a long time. And Michelle, I'm so happy to have you on today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Yeah, it's great to, great to connect with you. It's been a little while since we've uh, chatted and um, reconnected recently. And I know you've been working in this field for a while, a little while now, and it's uh, you know, it's a topic I think it's hard for a lot of people to talk about, um, or it's uncomfortable, or I don't know, people handle the uh, death uh, differently, and everyone views it differently and processes it differently. So I know we were uh, talking a couple weeks ago about wanting to have you on the show, and we both kind of thought, well, I think it would be great to have you come on on a special day like Father's Day, um, which of course is, uh, you know, a, a beautiful day to celebrate fathers and um, obviously with my father no longer being here, it's, uh, you know, it's a tough day to get through for my brother and sister and I, but, um, on, on my end, I personally felt it would be great and beautiful to talk about our fathers and talk about father's day and just how we, how we carry on in our lives and process everything with them no longer being here. I think that sounds like a wonderful idea. In fact, if you would like, um, we can start off with something, um, that I wrote, um, and then we can light a little candle and then move forward uh, on behalf of Father's Day. Absolutely. And you can hear me all right, right, with my... Yeah, yeah, you sound great. Okay. I'll, sh I'll shut the air conditioner off for a moment. Whoa, what a difference. <clears throat> so um, this, is, this is for remembering those who have passed. And I wrote it... Um, about two years ago, and um, I use it a lot in the work that I do. And it starts off, dear one, my life has been so blessed knowing how grateful I am to have had you in my life. Sharing your wisdom, laughter, and joy of living, of living a full life with all of its experiences has deeply affected me in the most positive of ways, and I thank you. May the light of the universe illuminate through your body, allowing your soul to be released into your next journey with grace and ease. I love you and goodbye. Wow, that's really nice. I like this little guy. <laughs> Can you see the light? Yeah. It's there. It's definitely lit. Okay. Oh yeah, I see it. <laughs> and, I, and I put it on my laptop. Nice. So, that's it's beautiful, Michelle. Um, yeah, so like, you know, I was telling you before we were rolling here, this is my fourth uh, Father's Day without my father. And, you know, it's difficult. Every day is difficult. But of course, Father's Day is a little extra hard because, you know, you see a lot of people around you who still have their dad and they're celebrating with him in person and going out and honoring him and, you know, doing the things they love to do with him. So for me this year, I just kind of made a conscious choice that I didn't want to be sad about it. And um I kind of have a nice little uh, memorial in the corner of my apartment with a big blown up photo of my father framed with his guitar on a guitar stand that I grew up listening to him play. I mean, my earliest memories of music are my dad playing his acoustic guitar at home. So um, to still have his guitar here um, is, uh, is a nice, you know, piece of him that still exists. So I figured I'd listen to some of our favorite songs that we enjoyed and, uh, you know, put up a picture of me holding his guitar. 
So it's just a, just a nice way to keep him close and keep his memory alive. It's, it's very, very sweet that uh, you had such a loving relationship with your dad. Um, I think that that's really a really important essence to um, hold on to. My dad's been gone since 1980, 81, I think it is now. And so there are things that, that happen, you know, my, I, I don't have, I don't have me now with my dad, but, and your, your dad died. How, how old are you when your dad died? Um, I was 30. 30. 30, yeah, 30 years old. I was 21 or 22. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and it was, here's an interesting thing. My, um, there's a, um, a teacher, a middle school teacher in Maryland, uh, who every year um, has his students uh, pick out of a hat a person's name from 9-11. And that, that child asks us what, um, you know, uh, different things about, about that person, you know, asking questions so they can write this, whatever they're gonna do, this creation they're gonna make at the end of this project. And after the project is done, they take a trip up to New York and they go to all these different firehouses and they learn more about their person. And so um, this year, it was a very strange time, especially with COVID-19 and changing all the rules and mixing us up and turning us into a free world. Some of the questions that this young girl asked me, the student, I couldn't answer. I, I wouldn't know those answers after all these years of you know losing David in 9-11. And um, not, I didn't lose him. He was taken from me. He was taken from us. But um, there are questions about like, you know, um, what was his favorite color? Well, he was colorblind. So that's what his favorite color was. And then, and then another question was, um, was he always, was he always happy? It, it, it was a different, it was different. Something like, was he always happy? And I'm like, oh my God, like who's always happy? And, uh, and how do you, how do you work that out? And there was one other question that she asked that um, I, I wouldn't have a clue of like things that are fading away uncertain. Mm -hmm that they're asking about that's brand new to them that I don't have recollection of anymore. And that's really sad. And, um, and then the other thing that happened with that was I ended up sending that information, those questions to my brother's girlfriend at the time, uh, who, you know, they were madly in love. They were going to move in together. And then 9-11 happened. And I sent these questions over to her to answer because I thought she would be the right one. It wasn't, it wasn't up to me to answer these questions. And she never got back. Hmm. This girl, then the COVID virus came out. I don't even know what happened uh, to that project. But anyway, that was, it was really more about the whole aspect of uh, questions and, and not knowing the answers anymore. Yeah, well, and, and for everyone watching, this is how Michelle and I know each other. Um, oh, sorry. Her brother, no, it's, yeah, it's fine. Her brother was a um, FDNY fireman, um, David M. Weiss. And he died on 9-11 in the World Trade Center. And when I was in college, I was a, I still am a big time political activist, but I was even more so a big time activist in getting justice for 9-11, for the families, um, helping the first responders who were sick and dying. This is before Jon Stewart really grabbed the mantle and was, was fighting for first responders and passing the Zadroga bill and getting them the health care that quite frankly they were entitled to. 
And um, obviously Michelle was very active in um, pursuing those things and, and, you know, demanding answers from our government about what happened. How was the attack allowed to happen? Um, why aren't we giving health care to all the people who cleaned up Ground Zero? So our paths crossed here in New Hampshire. We did a big event up here for that. And, um, you know, that's how we got to know each other. And we've stayed in touch throughout the years. And, um, you know, it's just, just awesome to still be in touch. Just to, one of the nice things about social media, I will say, as uh, toxic and horrible as a lot of it is, there's still a lot of good things um, you, you can get from it. So, and that's, you know, that's the thing, the farther away we get from our loved one's death, those kind of questions and things, those might not have been the things we really even thought about when they were alive. You know, it was just a thing. They just did their thing. Right. And, you know, um, I don't have a lot of uh, history with my dad. So just like childhood stuff, which there wasn't much of an impact on my life as I was growing up, except I guess the impact is that he wasn't here. And uh, there was nothing to fall back on or talk to because uh, everybody's gone in my life. So the, my mom is still here. Her, her mother died when my mother was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. Mom took over the, the whole household. That was during World War II. And, um, and her father was away for three, three of the most important years of her life and her, and her mom's you know, end of life while he was in France. Being, he was caught up in the war there and couldn't come home. He was a doctor. So there's, there are things that, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for you and your brother and your sister that you have your mom and your dad throughout your life and growing up and, and there was so much love in your family and so much fun and you had you know your uh, cousins and your aunts and uncles that came to your side all of the time as well and there was music playing all of the time in your in your life and i just think that that is just so amazing and it's the most beautiful thing is to have music you know and and, and participating as a family in music that's oh it's music is what keeps my dad alive i mean there's so many songs um I just hear and I can't help but think of him. And, you know, my brother and I, he, uh, he took us to our first concert when we were probably like, I don't know, 12 or 13 or 14. He took us to see the Moody Blues up at Meadowbrook yeah. Farms in Guilford, New Hampshire. And, you know, I, my, my two or my earliest memories being alive is my sister being born when I was three years old and the Moody Blues album, The Present from the eighties. And my dad had that playing all the time growing up. So all of those songs, you know, that was his favorite album. It's my favorite Moody Blues album. Um, yeah, I just see him. I see him when I hear those songs, and it's really beautiful. And yeah, we had so many great concert experiences together. I mean, we got we got to take him to see Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, you know, half a dozen times. And um, when my dad was ten, he moved from Newfoundland, Canada, where he was born, out to Ventura, California, and he lived in Ventura, California from uh, 65 to 68 when he was aged uh, 10 to 13. So he was coming of age as a young boy listening to the Beach Boys in California. So it was just, it was so cool to be able to share that music with him and how it tied into his life and, and, and how much he loved it. And he passed the music down to my brother and I, and then we were able to go and bring him to see Brian Wilson. And then we got to go backstage and meet Brian Wilson. And, you know, we got pictures of that and it's just, uh, those are amazing memories that I'll have the rest of my life. And it's that connection um, that really helped our form our bond um, and why we were so close with him. And then obviously he fostered my brother's musical talents and my brother's a drummer in a pretty well no local band here in New Hampshire, Northern Stone. 
and you know, our, Tony would come to all the shows and, you know, was happy to be there and see his son drumming and doing something he loved and a talent that he invested, you know, he bought him, bought him a drum set when we were, uh, you know, young kids and, um, encouraged it. And it's, it's all you could hope for from, from your parents is that they encourage the things you love to do as a kid and, and never tell you, you can't do it and you shouldn't do it. And it's a waste of time. Um, so that was, you know, that's something, one of the big takeaways from having him as our dad. What a, what a wonderful uh, time for you because my generation, which is, I guess your dad, how, how old was your dad when he passed? Uh, 61. He was born in 1955 and died in 2017. Right. So I was born in 1959. And so music was a big thing. For us. But my parents, you know, we got our first record player, I think. <laughs> I don't know, 1974, maybe. And, uh, and so we would listen to Chicago and Yes and Boys and my brothers and I, and uh, but it was, it's interesting generations, how generations uh, mold our younger generations and what meant a lot to us, which is music and how you um, were able to embrace music into your world and, and, and continue to have, because music is really important, you guys. Music, music will set your soul free and if you'll remember who you are from the depths of your heart. Um, I mean, if you look at some dementia patients and Alzheimer's patients, if you bring music into their, their life, they wake up. Mm. It's, it happens practically every time. And, um, and then if you ask their family, if their family's still around for them, and you ask what, what did they listen to when they were younger, and you, you know what that music is and you play it for them, they, they wake up to it. They'll, they'll dance, they'll start moving their bodies, which haven't been moved in, in months or years, whatever. But it's really important. Music is really important. Yeah, it has an amazing impact. And, and yeah, I've watched specials about that, how they have these little villages that are um, for dementia patients and the elderly who are, you know, losing their facilities, um, where they actually create like a 50s throwback little community, mini community, and like build like a... Um, what would be a diner in the fifties and have them all go there and hang out and meet. And they have all the music from that era. And, you know, it brings, it brings the person back to a different time in their life and can really help them while they're, you know, dying at the end of their life. And it can be bring comfort to them and um, bring comfort to the loved ones who are going through that. And yeah, when, when my dad was in hospice, we were, um, we were playing all his favorite music, you know, and that was, uh, that was really nice. Very, very comforting, very comforting thing. So how long, how long before he went into hospice uh, was he ill? Uh, so in August of 2016, he was, you know, starting to feel weird and fuzzy. He was kind of like vision was getting impaired in one of his eyes and he just felt really tired and lethargic, which was, he never felt that way. He was a really active, robust guy. So he went to the doctors and they, you know, did a scan of everything. And that's where they found, you know, on his brain, they said, there's something going on in your brain. So you're going to go get further opinion. And we brought him up to uh, Dartmouth Hitchcock in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And uh, September is when we got the diagnosis. They said he has uh, glioblastoma, brain cancer, and um, he'll probably live about five months. So that was September. And he passed away in the end of January in 2017. So 
the whole thing was like five months. It was quick. It was really quick. So Very, it's, and I'm so sorry. I'm so thank sorry. you. Thank you. You know, I, I remember over the years how wonderful, um, you know, all the conversations that you have have always been wonderful ones. And it's just, you know, what a loving family you all have. And I'm just, I, I'm sure it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing what you have. And um, I'm sorry, five months is not a long time to get, get your plans in order. Yeah. And then that's, that's the thing you just, you're going about your business and then one day all of a sudden your, your dad's dying and you kind of have a, have a, a timeline of when it's going to happen. And there's so many things that you would never think about in, until it hits you right in the head. And um, all of that, you have to deal with that and process that while you're losing the loved ones. So um, yeah, if you want to, you know, delve into a little bit about, I know that's, what you do as a, a deaf midwife. I mean, what it just kind of bring me through that process. I mean, you, you help people prepare for that and, and when they're in the middle of it, kind of process it. So yes, um, as a deaf midwife, I don't wait till the end. Mm -hmm. I do, I, I, when you're ready to do pre-planning, I am there for you. And it's not about, you know, waiting, you know, for a, uh, a result from a, uh, a scan. It's not then. I want people to start bringing bringing death and the dying process into our life, our daily life, because every breath we take and every breath we let go of is another moment that we are is is gone. So you might as well learn how to encompass and know that there is a continuum of life, and it's not it's not like the if you have a, a coin in your hand, it's not heads and tails here. Heads and tails are on one, on one side of the, of the coin. And that's really important to, to know. So for me, it's taking care of your advanced healthcare directive right now. That's the biggest number one thing that people should do. And you can go online. Um, every state has them. It's free to download. And it's like uh, three or four pages of well, I have one right here. Let's see. This is this is one type of an advanced healthcare directive. This comes from California. Um, there's um, they, it's a downloadable um, directive that says that says who's going to be your agent if you can't speak for yourself, which is now is something to think about. It's not scary, and then and then and you just go, oh, I really feel. Um, my best friend is the one who's going to be able to um, execute my wishes. It may not be my husband. It may not be my daughters. You know, maybe they can't follow through with the things that I want. Like, I don't want to be intubated. I, I just don't. And, and but what at what point do I not want to have that happen? So, so there's lots of questions that you have. And then on these forms, if it doesn't answer exactly the way you want it to be, your wishes, you can cross things out and add your information in and then uh, initial it and, uh, with your date and time. And then you also get uh, two uh, unbiased witnesses to sign off on it. And here's the biggest thing is like, even if you started one today and, and you look back on it six months from now and you've learned some new things that are happening in the world when it comes to your your process of moving forward and dying 
you can change it. You can cross it out. You can rip this up and start all over again. And, and that's probably the bigger part. Like if people are scared to start something like this, just know that you can change your documents anytime you want, but you also need to list stating that I changed that, I changed my advanced healthcare directive and this is the one to follow and the date and the time of that. But um, that would be the number one first thing that I would, I would definitely tell people to go out there and just download it from your, from your, from your uh, state. It's a, called the Advanced Healthcare Directive, New Hampshire, uh, Advanced Healthcare Directive, California. Download it, read it over. There are people in all states, not just here, me and me in California, but there are a lot of others. If you need resources to get to people to help you, I'd be happy and honored to help you with those resources. Um, but that's number one. The other thing is, is that there are a lot of people that um, have a lot of paperwork, right? Lots and lots of paperwork. You think that one day you're gonna go through that paperwork and get it all done and categorize it and put it into, um, uh, date order and maybe it's for the IRS and maybe it's you know just to have your insurance papers together so if you can't speak for yourself or you have died transition is what I use you um, all your papers are in order for your loved ones to go through easily and um, and simply yeah so, so I would um, I go to people's homes and I go through all their paperwork I Put it in a chronological order, and I and I put everything in a place where they can find them. So if if you're like you find out that you have Alzheimer's and it's it's you're at, at a really early stage of it, here mind and body, you know I could come to your home and take care of all of your paperwork so that when you can't speak for yourself anymore, someone can come in and say, okay, here here is all where all the information is. It's called exit papers. And um, an exit papers file. So, for instance, um, I published this book last year. It's called Exit Papers 101. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is my, a photograph that I took in um, at Swami's Beach in Encinitas, California, uh, where I live. But um, each all of this are checklists, just checklists of everything you can possibly need to have in any part of your life prior to your, your, uh, your death. And uh, at the beginning of the book is, um, is pre-modules. And in the pre-modules, it shares, as you go through the book and your checklist, it just, it just shares with you um, different aspects, sorry, how <laughs> to share or something. But um, the first is the locations of your documents, your valuables, your collectibles, your social security cards, your passports, where are they located, and any notes or comments on it. So when you go through each chapter and you finish and complete the chapter, you just take that information, the little notes of it, and put it into the front of the book so your, your loved ones can come right to the front of the book. That's, that is uh, so helpful. And I mean, yeah, so my dad uh, had his house in Ringe, New Hampshire, where we grew up in. We were, the Jackmans were there 20 years. And, um, the last time he was ever there was the day my brother and I drove him up to Dartmouth and he said something incredibly prophetic and kind of just punched me in the gut. He looked around. He's like, this is the last time I'll ever be here. And we were like, Oh no, dad, we're just going to go figure out what this is. And, 
you'll be back here. And he was, he was right. That was literally, he, that was like the last time he really could walk on his own because the tumor impacted part of his brain that he lost complete function in the left side of his body. So he couldn't walk anymore the last five months of his life. But, uh, he said that, and that was that was the last time he was ever at that house that he bought and built up and raised a family in for 20 years. So when it got to a point where we kind of had the timeline and we knew how much time he had left, uh, we had to deal with the house. We had to deal with all of his stuff. We had to – all of that. And, 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 boy, to have someone like you or a process in place or something in line to mitigate that and streamline that process would, would be amazing and be helpful. So – um, I think that's incredible that you offer that to people. And then of course it's, it's, that's a tough conversation to have when you're, a, when you're fine and you're like, Hey, I don't plan on dying in the next year or whatever, six months, but to have that in place, you know, that can, that can save a lot of, a lot of misery and suffering and guessing. And cause you know, we, we have, and, and being a burden thinking or thinking you're going to be a burden on your family. It's like, no. right. That's not happening. That's not the truth. That's right. reality. Having everything clearly already de uh, delegated and things in place, all at the wishes and behests of the person who's dying um, before they're in that position and situation, that's, that's incredible. It's, it's efficient and it's, it, it's pragmatic and it makes sense. And I, I really you know, would like to see people be more pragmatic about death. Obviously, you're emotional and you're a mess. And there's so many times where it's hard to think straight. But someone has to be that figure that is thinking straight and that does have to deal with this and handle those kind of things. And, um, you know, my brother, Mike, he got, he was power of attorney. Um, they, they did that and, and got that all figured out. So that, that obviously was, was good to have that lined up. And of course, you know, power of attorney is someone who can make that call if they do slip into being unresponsive and they're just being kept alive by a machine. Uh, <laughs> you can make that call, you know, yay or nay, keep them going or just pull the plug and let them, let them die. So. And, um, and if your dad didn't have, uh, have the uh, executor or the agent available, it would have been on the hospital. You guys right. and, and the, the questions and the, and the, and the fighting and the anger that could have occurred um, is a possibility. I mean, it happens out there. And uh, so taking care of your, I say take care, be responsible, be accountable for your body. Do, do what you can now and don't leave it on your, on your loved ones to, to do. It's not, it's not fair. It's not fair. And like, my, like for my mom, my mom, I said to her a few years ago when I first started moving into this direction, really following my calling, I said to her, hey, you know, what's going to happen to you when you die? What, what's going to happen to your body? Not to you. What's going to happen to your body when you die? She goes, well, I don't, I don't know, and I don't care. You know, you and your brother be maybe bury me. I don't care. And I'm like, whoa, 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 lady, that's not the answer. The answer is, I, I, you have been in this body for 83 years. You know, embrace your body and thank your body for all of your experiences, good or bad, and and say thank you to your body and ask your body, what do you want? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to be buried? And uh, three weeks later, she calls me and she goes, I know what I want. And I'm like, what is it? She says, I want to be buried with your dad on Long Island. And I'm like, oh, well, she's married now for 50 years or so. And uh, to her, her husband now. And, um, and I was like, okay, well, that's great news. So do you have a plot there? Do you, do you, did you pay for your, I mean, I know nothing about what you're doing. 
She goes, no, I'm there. I can do this. I, I can be up there. And I said, well, now, you know, at the point, at that time she was living in North Carolina. And I said, so, you know, if you die in North Carolina, what are we going to do about getting your body up to Long Island? And, uh, you know, what steps do you think we need to take to take your, your, your body through the States to Long Island? And do you know what that looks like? And uh, she said, no, that would be something that my brother and I would have to deal with. And it's like, no, no, no. Do you have money set aside? So there's, there are different types of uh, accounts, bank accounts that you can set aside for funeral and all your funeral arrangements. So it's never touched until that time. And uh, so she had nothing like that, but now she does. And now she lives up in upstate New York with my older brother. Um, they live about 20 minutes apart from my mother now. So she's in New York. It's a lot easier to deal with when, when of course. she Yeah. But it's it's a big question. It's like you're we have to embrace who we are within this body. And then also, you know, if we believe in spirit or soul that speaks through this body, through our mind and um, our hearts, then we've got, you know, we've got a responsibility to to do the right thing with with, with this, you know? Yeah, well, you know, we were, I'm so fortunate. I mean, my dad has five brothers who are all still alive and two sisters. So he was one of eight children. And, you know, growing up, I was close with all of them. I still am close with all of them. And um, it's just, it's really nice whenever I get together with any of them and um, see them, you know, I see some of my dad in them, obviously, with your, with your parents, siblings, they have some similarities in their appearance and their, <laughs> the way they talk, the things they're into, you know, they're, they're siblings. And it's, uh, it was, I wouldn't have been able to get through that whole deal without my aunts and uncles and, and, and really specifically my auntie Annie, who's my dad's baby sister. She's uh, like nine years younger than him. And, um, you know, she just really stepped up in a big way and, 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 helped with all of that and, and moved, helped move him from New Hampshire to Massachusetts and got him on Mass Health, the health care they have there, and got him placed into a nursing home and then eventually into a hospice. So, yeah, those are, those are all logistical things that you don't ever think about. And like you said, it's obvious when you're alive, it's a difficult thing to address and to approach. But if you, I feel like if you can utilize what you're offering and, 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 and what the conversation you're willing to have and, and thinking about logistics of, you know, it might sound dark and grim, but actually transporting your, your body from one state to the next and the cost that's going to be, and then do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to have a, a, a funeral, a wake? I mean, open casket, all that stuff. Right. And, and that's, so that was, that's the next part. Yeah. Finish your sentence though. Yeah. So, I mean, all of that, I think it's just perfect and it's great. And I think it's, uh, you're honoring that person when you're seeing to it that their wishes are being executed the way, the way that they wanted it when they're no longer alive and they're, they're giving you a roadmap on how to do it. And then, so whether you're having that conversation while they're dying or all that's already in place, close the book on it. When the person dies, here's the book and here's how you're going to do it. You know, I think that that's very helpful. It's, it's like, when when you were like uh, maybe um, preteen teen, um, talking, uh, you know, getting angry at somebody or something, I have a journal. Did you write in a journal about a, a day? Like today is July something, and 
I had a really great day today and leave it at that and then go to, a, you know, go back to it another time. Did you ever write it in a journal? That's my question. Um, I, I never really journaled. I had some friends who did and um, I knew people who did, but I mean, my brother and I have incredible memories. We have photographic, you know, we can remember details about certain days. Um, but yeah, no, I, I never really kept a journal. So the reason why I was bringing that up is um, when you, when you write in a journal about anything that's going on in your life on that day or whatever, adding inf information about what you want, like, um, uh, my, my best friend who I was, my best friend from childhood, she and I promised each other that at the age of 80, we would go back to, to a college and, um, and smoke pot with the, with all the young boys um, that were there. You know, we thought that by the time we were 80, you know, pot would be legalized and it would be a problem. We'd have some fun, you know, talking to these two 80 year old ladies. <laughs> I like that. And so the thing is, is that if we start talking about, you know, demystifying this whole process of dying and bring it into our life and we go to movies and how many movies do you see that there isn't something or someone that died? I don't know any movie that doesn't share some type of death in, in a movie, no matter how nice and sweet it is. There's always something that brings you into that moment even if it's just for a, a split second, but it changes the whole dynamics of, the, of, of your heart feeling. So um, you've got, um, I, I wanna, um, I was just thinking, I'm, I've got a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. So bring me back. Yeah, so I was just mentioning the, the arrangements when the person dies, I mean, do they want to have a funeral? Do you want to have a wake, open casket? Right, and, okay. and the cost of getting a funeral home. I mean, some of these funerals, we looked at it, 20, 25 grand. You know, right. who the right. hell so, has that kind of money lying around? <laughs> and, and, and do you really need to do that? Right. The other thing is like, so doing pre-planning, like right now I'm pre-planning and I'm not dying. Well, we're all dying, but I'm not unhealthy. So I'm, I'm thinking my pre-planning and I've got someone taking care of that with me. She's a death midwife and a funeral director and she owns her own business and I and I trust her right, with me with this body and so I um, she does a lot of work with fly me to the moon you can uh, fly fly some of your ashes up to the moon you can fly fly your uh, fly me out to the into outer space uh, these things are real. This isn't something out of uh, sci-fi. This is what's happening today. You can uh, be, um, your ashes can be buried with, uh, and start a memorial reef through all the reefs throughout the world. You can pick where you want to be placed. You've got um, urns, beautiful urns and beautiful jewelry now that you can wear your, your loved one's ashes. Um, you, there are so many opportunities right now. And the, and the biggest part is to really understand what's the difference between, you know, if you are going to be buried, there's, you know, the regular, regular um, cement vaults that your body's placed down into. There's natural burial grounds on uh, church, um, church, uh, in, in church cemeteries now, there's certain areas now where you can do a natural, which isn't like vaults and steel. 
And then you've got green burials, which is being buried in um, a, a cardboard casket or a beautiful uh, wicker, not wicker, um, willow baskets that are hand, handmade and hand braided, beautiful, beautiful work. Um, anything that can decompose and be a natural resource to the earth. And, um, or in a shroud, and a shroud is like a sheet of linen or silk or um, cotton, um, and you're wrapped into it and, and, and it's beautiful, it's just beautiful. And so for me, living in California, you know, I'm looking for a green burial ground for my body. And I'm going to be buried in a shroud of mushrooms. So it's called a mushroom suit. And this mushroom suit is all these spores of all these mushrooms inside, embedded inside the cloth or inside the suit that zips up. And, um, and what mushrooms do is it detoxifies this body. It cleans it up so that wherever it is and how it decomposes, decomposes naturally and beautifully and turns into a mushroom patch. You know? How beautiful is that? <laughs> I like it, that. It, I think it's amazing and wonderful. And so um, green burial grounds are really what people are doing right now. There's a lot of farms um, who are turning into green burial grounds. Some of their some of their acres are being placed directly, but there's you know certain wow. So you have to have to um, uh, obey requirements that have to be done before they say yes to you having that. But you, legally, you can. Well, I don't know in all states, but legally you can have, you can, you know, bury your dead in your own home backyard. Now with these farms, are there headstones or are you just thrown out in a... So no, no, you're not thrown out there. Well, I'm sorry. All no. It's all GPS location. Okay. That was the wrong so word, say, thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got, um, uh, you'd be able to get the coordinates of your, uh, of where your loved one is. Okay. They also can put like a stone there or... Um, uh, uh, you could have a, like a, a, a flower bed, you know, to, to know where it, but uh, for me, I'm, I'm not there anymore. Right. I, I'm, I, who I am within this body is no longer in that body and sitting there and being decomposed. My body is, is thanking me for allowing it to have a new, a new continuum of life whatever that, however it turns out to be. Well, yeah, I mean, those, those sites, those are really for the living. It's for you, the living to go and reflect and still have somewhat of a connection to the physicality that was their loved one. Um, for our dad, we had our dad cremated. He, wa he wanted to be cremated. So he, you know, he expressed those wishes and uh, he was outraged <laughs> at the price of uh, what funeral homes charge for their whole deal. He called it a racket and he said, they're not getting a dime of our money and uh, have me cremated. And cremation, I think was about $1,500. Um, and uh, that's, that's expensive. Yeah. Does that seem expensive? It's, it's really my only experience. I, you know, I'm not with the mob, so I've never had to cremate people before, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, he was, he was cremated and, uh, you know, we still have his remains in the box and bag that they package it in for you. And then while you're there, they try to sell you an urn and, you know, it's like anything else, you know, there's an upsell and he'd look nice in this urn and we're like, yeah, we're going to hold off on that. And I, and I really, from, for Mike and I, and you know, my sister, our ultimate goal, I believe is for me anyways, I would like to bring his ashes back to Newfoundland, Canada, where he was born. 
um, and just scattered them out into the bay where he was from in St. John's. And, uh, and you know, if that feels right, Eric. Yeah. You, if, gotta, you, you know, that that's what a great journey that'll be for your whole family. Well, exactly. And my dad never made it back to Newfoundland. He left there in 65 and he was 10 and he always wanted to go back. He just never made it back up there for a visit. So I've always obviously wanted to go there because of my ancestral connection to the place. And um, I'm just fascinated by that culture up there and the beauty of it and the history of it with the Titanic sinking off the coast. And my uh, oh. my descendant, uh, Captain Jackman, uh, captained a boat called the Algerine that uh, recovered some of the last bodies from the wreckage of the Titanic. So, oh my gosh, what a history! I didn't yeah, know there's about a, that. That's... a lot of a lot of history with my family up there. So, um, and and my dad was totally cool with that. He said, uh, "Bring them wherever wherever you want to, wherever it feels right, and uh, what what you think would would you guys would would like to do." So I know my brother and I are in agreement with that, and you know we can chat with our sister about it. But yeah, we're that's that's I think that would be a fitting conclusion to the physical you know physical remnants left of him and and right back yeah, and out you, you you can also you know keep some of those ashes and turn them into jewelry yeah we yeah i mean we, yeah exactly there's, yeah, there's maybe good, your sister would want that you know oh yeah yeah i mean we're we're open to doing uh anything there you know there's there's a it's not just a little speck of dust it's a good pile of ash you know you don't you don't realize it i know it might sound kind of dark to some people but you're carrying the the box and the, the bag around you're like holy shit there's there's some uh, there's some weight to this you know <laughs> yeah, yeah but uh it would just it would be nice so i'd be able to take a trip there and and see where my dad uh be, his life began and um you know kind of a full circle thing and i still have a lot of relatives up there so uh, when all this virus yeah. bullshit settles down and uh, get my passport renewed, I think that might be one of the, the first trips I'd like to take. Well, I think one of the biggest things you need to do right now is get that passport done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got to get it renewed. Well, it ex it ex you don't know what's going to happen in this world. Expect, and um, if you're going to do your passport, then you should do your license too, the one that's uh, international, whatever it's called. International it driving license? Well, yeah, so it's a, like a passport in your license, in your driver's license. So that, that I don't have my license up here, but um, like right now, you have to have your license updated to this point so that you can travel from state to state now. Yeah. Really? On an airplane. So okay. look into that. Yeah, and I know actually the guy, the, the, the guy who, you know, did the, the cremation, he gave us the documentation and said, don't lose this because if you're traveling with the remains, yes. I know this might sound sick to you, but drug smugglers will use this as a means of smuggling drugs and say, I'm transporting the remains Ooh. of someone to scatter ashes. We're like, holy shit. And like, you don't even think about something like that, you know? I, yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't. And, and, and you shouldn't have to. And, but you know, we live, we live in a, you know, this planet is, is really asking us to do some changes. Yeah. It's in a very, very big way. And I I wanna just, you know, honor the earth at this moment and just, you know, it's gone through a tremendous amount of pain from us or due, due for, to us doing the things that we do. We are not, uh, yeah, we need, to, we need to find the love back in our hearts and experience that essence of a pure love out to people let them feel something nice 
because what a what a topsy turvy world. Oh, I know. Especially these last six months, it's just been like one nightmare and one disaster after another. And uh, you know, just the other day, I took a whole day off of work and got together with some of my best friends and just went out for some food and drink. And just the simple act of doing that for a few hours just felt so good. And just a return to some kind of normalcy and getting back to how things were before, you know, just the simple, simple thing of really taking the time and, and not going to work for a day and, and taking the time for yourself and your friends. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, what else do we have? So, so food and drink, you met with some friends for food and drink. Are you guys open now for sitting down? Uh, yeah, New, so certain counties in New Hampshire, everyone can do indoors, but certain counties are 50% or you can be totally 100%. Uh, here in Hillsborough County in Peterborough, where I live, I think it's 50%. And then Cheshire County, like where Keene is and Ringe and Jaffrey, I think they're at 100% just simply because they're a smaller population area. 100% open? Yeah, where you can have masks? Your, uh, well, that's up to the business. The business can say, you know, wear your mask. Uh, but most anywhere I've gone, they said you have to wear your mask coming in. And where we were on Wednesday, we were out in the patio. We were outside. We ate outside, and everyone had to be six feet apart and wear your mask when you go in and out. So businesses are taking those precautions and taking that seriously. But just to middle of the week, be able to take a day off and get together with my closest friends and Mike and. Uh, have our favorite beer and wings. And, and it was as if for a few hours that the world was okay, you know? Hmm. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, the, you know, everything that you and I have ever really kind of talked about is getting deeper into the truth of things and, and um, trying to find some answer within all of this craziness that's happening. Like what's, what's the underlying truth of all of this and, Cause we're just on the surface you know this this stuff oh here okay so in california they opened up to have us be able to be on patio service you know in restaurants and then they took it away and then they brought it back and then it's like you can go to the beach i i, I live like a mile away from the beach wow and uh, and i went to the beach twice the first time i went with a friend and uh, we went pretty far away from people, but then everybody started walking like right next to us, six, not even six feet apart, like they could have moved away. We, we weren't moving, but the, the, point, the point is now I felt so dirty and, and I felt like I was getting uh, their, their junk on me and I, home from the beach, I said, I'm not going back. I'm not going back until we understand what this is all about. And I went home and I scrubbed my body. And that, that was weird. It's like I, I, I wasn't in control. And so the only way that I was able to get into control of that feeling was to wash my body. Yeah. Clothes. Right. Um, and so now the uh, Newsom, our governor, has stated that no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you must wear a mask. And uh, so if I'm going to go out and walk my dog, which I, I, I don't wear a mask when I'm walking my dog, um, now it's required. And what are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're going to have a cop hmm. police me 
And, and then what are they going to start charging me, you know, a fee because I'm not wearing my mask. And if they're going to do that, where's that money going to go? What are they going to use that money for? And, and it's just more taking away from each one of us, just another takeaway of, of who we are as a human being. And uh, I went out to the store yesterday with my cotton mask on that my daughter made me. And uh, I could not breathe. I could not breathe. I was in the store maybe 45 minutes. By the time I came out, my, when I took the mask off, I was sweating. And I was so uncomfortable. And I, you know, I worry about those that are required all day long to wear them. That if my 45 minutes caused me to sweat like that and feel so uncomfortable, how are, how are those essential workers dealing with all of this? And are they getting sicker because all they're doing is breathing in their own, their own stuff all day long? And get a chance to get outside every 15 minutes to breathe. And then, and then wait, then going outside to breathe, you know, you're supposed to be wearing a mask. So, you know, there's something deeper in that thought pattern of why and where and, and how do we, how do we move into a different, I think, stop, stop watching Netflix. Stop oh, watching. turn, turn the, turn the, part of my French, turn the fucking TV off. Here's the other thing. I, I said to my and my husband last night, I said, okay, let's not do any technology for three hours. Just three hours, which I have no problem with, but three hours. Hour and a half later, we're on the computer. Yeah. Like, I get back on the computer. That's, it's like you asked me a question and I don't have the answer, so I had to get on the computer to get the answer. That's, that's something I've been trying to make more of a... Um, concerted effort towards is leaving my phone at home and when I'm going out being out and being detached from the thing because our phones now are they are the the 24 7 lights of fear and chaos and anxiety and really control that the whatever you want to call it the power elite the 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 people who pull the levers the people who are running this whole show uh, have over us and they use and they weaponize it day in and day out 24 7 365 days a year it's just a loop of fear and be afraid and be divided and hate people and hate this person and hate this group and the virus and it's just it, it, it's uh george harrison has a great line from one of his songs until your nervous system starts to tilt and like lately i felt like my nervous system is just starting to tilt you know from all of this shit and 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 there's only so much a human being can take. So it's, uh, God, I think we're reaching a breaking point with it. Um, because you can't, you can't keep 400 million people or seven or 8 billion people on the whole planet for that matter, cooped up. And, and, and so, so think about that for a moment. Think about the people who have phobias. Yeah. And, and, and how they're, how are they releasing their phobias out into the world? Are they, are they the people that have, can't deal with it anymore and are those you know black masks black clothing people that come in after the peaceful protesters you know who who are they really and where do they come from and here's the other weird thing um they're they're releasing prisoners out of out of prisons here in san diego in california i don't know if they're doing it all over the country but they're releasing um uh Offenders, I guess, who have been in jail for 180 days, something like that. I don't know what their 
there's reasons for being in, in incarcerated are, but you know, what's that and who are they and where are they being released to and should we be worried about that? And what are their names? I mean, we have like different organizations that, you know, say, you know, pedophiles are, you know, mm. you name yourself on these, I think it's called. A registry, yeah. Yeah, it's like the same thing. It's like, so who are you releasing? I'd like to know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, there's so much weird shit happening with this virus and, and the fallout from it. And I mean, I I watched a very powerful movie, a German movie called The Lives of Others about the Stasi in the 80s and spying on your neighbors and bugging people's apartments. And, you know, now we have contact tracing and people who are getting jobs and being paid money by the government to work on these apps on our phones that can track where you are. And it's all tied into your banking info, your how your transportation, um, your social media history. I mean, it's, we're, we're reaching some really, really weird and scary, uh, <laughs> scary levels right now, you know, and they have the social credit score in China and it, that's, that's being unfurled here in America and the virus has been used to kind of wheel that out in the name of safety and keeping us safe and keep it. So it's, it's uh, and then you get people, they politicize every aspect of it and it turns into, I'm on this team, you're on that team, you know, and right. mask shaming and social distance shaming and, and, oh God, it's like. And it's, and it's so weird, right? Because that's not the human. No. Uh, it's, it's, it's who we are. It's totally it's unnatural. So unnatural. Exactly. So, so here's the next question going deep into that rabbit hole, right? If it doesn't feel natural to us as human beings, then why is it feeling natural to some that state they're human? I mean, there's nothing human about disasters the way that they're coming made, made materialistically by, by human beings. There's, so, you know, then you can, you know, start questioning are there beings from other other places? Is there is there really is there really such a thing as an alien from another planet? And if they're and if they're really here, why aren't they saying I am I am not human, I am I am alien and I want to be your friend, or I don't want to be your friend, I find you disgusting, spit on me, spit on your face. But at least they're telling you who they are. And <laughs> have a response to be able to say, you know, sorry you don't like me, but you know. Well, I, you know, I, I just had my, I had a great hour and a half conversation with David Icke and, you know, his whole deal is uh, the reptilians and that they're here and they're, you know, from other, other, wherever they're from and they're manipulating world events and creating a uh, prison for humanity and Jesus Christ, the more and more we get into things, the, the more and more he seems to be onto something about that, whether it's just <laughs> the, the, the corruption of these people in power that gives them a lizard like mentality or a, ethos and spirit that is not human that is devoid of reason and love and empathy is a complete opposite of all that because the people who are running the show i mean you know as as you know that they're, they're just they're they're not above things like this and the yeah. more power they can get the more grip they can get over people's lives and control and manipulation the more they thrive and the more we suffer so we have to so yes but but so we we know this is happening so as as uh as a race, and I'm talking all colors, we we need to have a, a bigger conversation so that we can take this conversation and do some planning. And that's what I do with um, my beautiful Dying Expo. So what we're doing right now is 
because of the COVID virus and all these changes that have happened, uh, being, not being able to embrace one another on a physical level, we took the, our expo and turning it into a virtual trade show. And that's happening in November. So what we've done to get people to understand what that's about, and it's all of the people that are in the dying and death industry at end of life planning um, from uh, palliative care and hospice to caskets and shrouds and jewelry, um, even mediums that talk with those that have passed that have something to share with us today, whether you believe that or not. I think that most, some people do and they wanna hear about it. But we started these insights on practically a daily basis. Every day, there's a conversation with somebody that's in the collective of Beautiful Dying um, and um, have something to share about who they are and what they do. So we've had 24 insights so far. And what we've done is we're just sharing who we are to the public so people can see and know who we are at a very vulnerable state, at a, at a place of knowing uh, who the experts are, who the professionals are out, out in this world, not just in, in San Diego or even in the United States, but around the world. And then, um, and then so, so people know who we are. So when they come to the expo, they can embrace us and say, oh, I, I saw so-and-so on that, on that insight she did, and I really liked what she had to say. And, oh, wow, now she's at the expo with an, ex you know, she's got an exhibitor's booth. She's got, uh, she's going to do a workshop. She's part of a panel. I really want to know more about what I can do. I want to buy her book. So at the expo, you can have all of these things occur, and it's all virtual. And it's all about meet me on the bench. Meet me on the bench. Let's have a conversation. Let's find out where you're at right now and bring you through this path, this garden path, to where you need to be. And then fill in the gaps in between to make sure that when your experience at the expo is exactly what you're looking for and building up your confidence and demystifying the, the, the process to incorporate it and, um, and, and incorporate it into the, who you are. It's not separate. It is something that we think about we all know somebody or something that has uh, died or we're grieving about. Like when you're, when you're in at the last, like with your dad, five months to get things in order and, and doing it with so much love but, and not having a moment to grieve at any point during that process, those five months, there's no time to grieve because you've got business to take care of and um, and and orders to uh, take care of and then understanding and trying to bring it all in in five months so I say take care of things that you can now like like I was talking about the journaling so people who have journaled well you know I know as a, as a young person I, I journaled all the time and I would journal about all kinds of things like Oh, today I'm so pissed off at such and such, and I wish I could hold my breath and die. You know, or, you know, any thoughts about, you know, being so angry with oneself, like losing or not understanding what self-esteem and self-worth is about at any point in our lives where, you know, you get to a point of knowing who you are at, at, a, at a beautiful space and, and, and embracing who you are um, within this body. So I... I just, um, I invite people to really look at things now, have any questions and you need resources, I'm here to help. Um, 
if you want, you know, one of the bigger parts of all of this, which we didn't discuss, is your funeral. And, um, and do you want to have a home funeral? Do you want to have a vigil? Do you want to have a, have a, a, a home memorial? What does that all look like? Do you want a live funeral? So, and what does that look like? And what is a three-day vigil uh, as the body is, um, you know, moving out of this state uh, of living, moving into a, a new state of, of, of its transition? And so, so those are really important uh, questions and thoughts to think. And then as you do that, for me, when I, when I get to that point, I, I'm, I'm celebrating life. Mm -hmm. I'm celebrating life with, um, with butterflies, you know, flying off in, in a visual or doves flying off or a tree, a new tree being planted um, as, I, as I go through this process. So I invite you all to just take a breath, Breathe it all in. And if you can't be with the ones you love, hug a tree. I love that. That's that's beautiful, Michelle. And and that's um, you know, we did we did a celebration of life for our dad, and it was it was amazing. We we what was nice about it is he passed away, and then we waited, you know, two or three weeks before we did it. And this is one thing that puts me off about the traditional Western uh, funeral, where it's like. The guy dies on Monday. That weekend, you got to have a wake in place, and you got to be at a stuffy funeral home with 200 people cramming in there, and it's hot, and you're sweaty, and you're crying, and the body's there. I mean, you know, just my dad wasn't into that at all, and and you know, none of us were into that at all. He said, "Look, I just I want a party. I want there to be music, drinking, uh, a microphone, people to speak if they want to speak, and." Um, I want it to just be a celebration. Yeah, everyone's going to be sad. It sucks. I'm sad. I, I'd, I'd rather be there. I'd like to be there for the party. But um, so that's what we did. We rented rented a hall in Ringe and um, had a big party. And I think over 200 people came and some of us spoke and there was a cash bar. There was a little bit of food and a couple members of my brother's band played our dad's favorite songs in tribute to him. Mm -hmm which was just like, lovely, lovely. Can't, get, can't get any better than that. More real, what the guy wanted. Um, I, I just can't recommend that way of doing it enough to anyone who's watching. So it's a tough conversation to have, but, and my dad recognized, he's like, look, this is for you guys. Like, yeah, it's about me, but I'm not going to be there. You, you're the ones who are going to be there doing it and dealing with it and processing it. So um, for us in our situation and for him, that made the most sense. And it was, just based on what I've seen of other families and other people I know who have had to do the traditional wake, funeral, burial and all that, it's so stressful. It's so expensive. It's, it's all consuming and, it, and it's just like horrible. And, I want to grab something. Go ahead. I'm listening. I'm yeah. Listening. So, you know, and, and how we did it and, and what we did, I, I felt that that was, uh, I felt that that was a, a, a good way to do it and go about it. And to anyone who's, Dealing, dealing with that right now and having to go through that process, I think it's a, it's a good way to do it. I do too. I was going to share with you, um, I was telling you earlier that I have a pre-planning for, my, for my, um, my dying and death. And um, so the woman that's helping me uh, go through my process, which I'm telling you, once I, once I said, yes, let's do this pre-planning, I know I do it for others, but for myself, I've got certain things in place, but 
I didn't get this far because I've been working so hard on the expo and sharing everybody else that I needed to come back to me. So she's doing my pre-planning and she sent me information about um, a death certificate, death certificate information, uh, authorization to release, uh, disclosure of pre-need funeral arrangements, and authorization to accept or decline embalming, which is another don't embalm if you don't have to. Oh, God. <laughs> and then we can talk about that another time, but that's pretty yucky. That makes me think of the movie Phantasm with the tall man. I don't know it. Oh, yeah, he runs a funeral home, and there's embalming fluid and all kinds of creepy stuff. Yes, I did see it, and it, <laughs> that is freaky. I do remember that now. <laughs> um, but it's all, you know, it, um, any one of these funeral homes have to put their pricing on their website, if they have a website, or on their paperwork as you come into, the, into, the, into their um, the funeral home. So just to let you know that. Yeah. yeah. There was, yeah, so there's a, just people, just be responsible and accountable for your body. Don't leave it for your loved ones to take care of at the end. It's going to take so long and you're never going to go through a grieving process. And there's no reason to, you know, fight with one another, fight with one another over materialistic things because that's not, that's not real. What's real is the, is the memory of the person who, who's gone and to complete anything that you have with that person, um, whether there's regrets or burdens or stories uh, of your loved one that they need to hear, um, or if you need to share with, if you're the one who's passing, to share with those people the things that you regret or the, the love and just honoring where you're at. Don't wait, write a letter, like the one that you heard earlier today. 100%, that is, so well said. Well, Michelle, where can uh, people find your website and your information? How can people get in touch with you? So um, as a death midwife, you can come to beautifuldyingdying.com. You can learn more about what a death midwife is and the kinds of things you can um, start moving forward with now and not wait. We also have uh, Exit Papers 101, the book that uh, with all your checklists, it's on Amazon. Exit Papers 101, Prepare for the Final. And, um, and also the website for the expo is beautifuldyingexpo.com. So don't forget, it's D-Y-I-N-G. And, um, and you can email me at michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, at beautifuldying.com. So um, however, however you'd like to get, a, whatever your needs are, and I don't know them, or I don't have them, I will find you within 24 hours information that you need to move forward and uh, take, take hold of your life and celebrate every moment. Because this is the only moment we have. Make it the most precious moment. That's right. Well, beautiful. And I'll be sure to share all those links in the video description. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you, Michelle, today for taking the time with me on this day, Father's Day, and talking about a subject that is is is, is real and is true and is organic and that and it is actually natural. And uh, more people need to be less afraid to talk about it and go there. And, and for me personally, in my own end, own end, it really helps to talk about my dad and um, when I'm feeling in the mood and, and open to it. So I, I really appreciate it. And and I want to honor you and your brother and your sister as well. Um, for taking the steps that your dad said he wanted 
without question and and followed through with that for him and uh, there was no no qualms or anger between the three of you to do what he asked of you to do afterwards uh, I'm I'm really proud of all of you and especially you know being being young you know losing your dad at a young age you know you it was unexpected for one thing but also just um, you know, going through it, going through it. So grieving, grieving happens all of, we could talk about grieving another time, but grieving is really important and to understand that there's a difference between grieving and depression. And uh, when you can see the fine line of that, then you can know that what's coming up for you in that moment might be something of grieving as opposed to, uh, I better go take my, my drugs right now for my anxiety or my depression. Because once you know the difference, you're able to breathe, which is I was going to share with you a breathing technique to help through, but we don't have time now. So um, yeah, another well, time. Certainly would love to have you back on again. And, uh, you know, it's a great conversation. So thanks. Uh, thanks to Michelle Little. And thank you folks for tuning in. And please uh, like this video and subscribe. And you can find Jackman Radio on all social media platforms on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. We're all over the place. And uh, on this Father's Day, be good to each other. Love your family. Never lose sight of what's important and real and beautiful in your life. And take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day.